how do we embed caring into this agenda? It's hard to listen, to ask people, what do you want and truly listen? <laughs> so it's not with a few leaders, but everyone has the opportunity to lead. Everyone's got always got such an appetite to feed into what we're doing and help. Ensuring that the most vulnerable people in the supply chains are not negatively impacted. How do we in Scotland come together in a collaborative space to really drive forward positive change? This is Leadership for Sustainability, the podcast for sustainability directors, managers and pioneers who want their organisation to make greater progress. It's so good to have you with us. I'm Osbert Lancaster, and today we're trying something new, an episode based on a roundtable discussion about the draft sustainability manifesto that I shared with you last week. Welcome, it's lovely to see you here. My name is Morag Watson. I'm one of the directors and co-founders of Realize Earth. And I am one of the other directors and co-founders of Realize Earth. And it's good to see several people I know in person, in real life, and a few people I've been in correspondence with, and some new people I haven't met at all. So lovely to meet you all. So, Osbert, myself, and our colleague Rich, who can't be with us today, we have been working together. Oh, Osbert, you and I have been working together for nearly 20 years now, I think it is. What we do is we specialize in the people side of sustainability because there's lots of organizations out there who can help you do brilliant science based targets and measuring your metrics and what you should be doing. And then you try and roll it out across your organization. And there isn't the enthusiasm and engagement that you wanted. And that's the bit that we help with. And that's what today is all about. We organize these roundtables to, to get like-minded people together, to, to share and discuss things that are useful to us in our work. So what we're going to be talking about today is the draft manifesto for sustainability leadership. It's 2024. It was a new year, new challenges ahead. So Osbert and I and Rich decided that it would be good to get something down on paper on what we think is important and useful for us all to be doing as sustainability leaders. So these are our ideas and they are drafts. So the key point for today's uh, discussion was to share this with you and just get some feedback. Are these ideas useful? Can you see yourself applying them in your work? And could they be improved? Could they be developed in any way? So what we're going to do today is Osbert is going to give us a quick recap on what it actually says in the, the draft manifesto that he's written, and then we'll open it up for discussion. Okay. Osbert, then I'll pass it over to you to start us off. Yeah, okay. I guess a bit of the background is, you know, I've actually been wrestling fairly emotionally and intellectually for the last several months, really, about what's going on in the world, you know, where we're heading, what that means, what do we do about it? And uh, up and down, there's lots of good news, there's bad news going around in circles. But I think I sort of boiled it down to one you know, a question which sort of captures what's really been bothering me. And that is, how can I and other sustainability leaders, how can we work for positive change without being overwhelmed by the scale and the momentum of the climate and nature crisis? And so this was sort of me trying to I've got lots of I've had lots of you know thoughts about that for years, really, in a sense, but they've just been sort of bubbling around in the background, discussed them with very close, close colleagues, very close friends, but sometimes not being comfortable about putting them out into the world because they raise issues which can be uncomfortable for other people as well. So I thought, no, you know, where we are in the world now, we do need to put this stuff out there. We need to be more honest with ourselves, more open about the reality of what's going on. And there's there's a, I think there's if you've 
on social media and elsewhere. We can see some of this stuff, some of this stuff playing out. So this this draft manifesto is my attempt, first attempt really to sort of try and pull some of this stuff, my thinking together around this. And before I get into the manifesto, a quick let's recap of a couple of my assumptions here. And that is, it's definitely not in this case of, you know, we're all doomed, but the reality is we are in a race. We're in a race between these negative environmental tipping points, which we've been fueling in all sorts of ways, and positive social tipping points of lots of great stuff that is happening. And the question is, which of those hit first? Which Do we get sufficient progress on those social tipping points that we can draw back from the edge on the environmental tipping points? And it really seems to me that you know conventional sustainability leadership is just not no longer sufficient if it ever was that approach. I have been, you know, and there's a number of reasons for that. And I think, but one I think which is particularly important, sort of in an emotional level, is I don't think you know conventional sustainability leadership never really allows for the fact that we might not succeed. It always seems you know, one more push, one more initiative. If only the government did this, if only the COP agrees this, then we'll be fixed. And we have no idea whether that'll happen or not, but not facing up to that and not saying, well, how else, what else do we do? Um, if, we, if we have to put that aside, I think, you know, really, really uh, hamstrings conventional, conventional sustainability leadership. And there are other issues, particularly around the way in which we yeah, the ways we think and the ways we relate to the rest of the living world and so on. But that's the one I want to highlight just now. So we need a new approach. I can talk about sort of big picture and conceptual stuff for ages, but I always want to try and bring it down to, well, okay, what are we actually going to do differently? I spent too long sitting around with, you know, sitting around trying to put the world to rights by what they should do. But what am I going to do? What can we do differently? And what can we do to differently tomorrow based on the reality of where we are, not where we'd like to be? So it seems to me that there are three sort of three big areas we need to focus on. The first of which are attitude, our attitude and our general approach, our strategy and our practice. So in the attitude, I think we really need to let go of this sort of this emotional idea we have that we need to save the world. And I think particularly people coming from a sort of an NGO or an environmental background are very particularly prone to that. Saving the world. Instead, I think we need to focus on creating the future we need, a more, pos more positive, forward-looking vision. Can you have a backward-looking vision? I'm not sure. And then the second thing is, you know, we need to accept uncertainty. We don't know. We can't know whether we'll succeed at a global scale. We don't know. We can't know whether the initiative we're starting in our organization tomorrow will succeed. What we can do is really is focus on fostering the conditions for positive change to emerge. And that means accepting uncertainty and being comfortable with that. The third one is spend less time worrying about what other people are and aren't doing unless you can actually influence them in some way. Don't worry about what's going on in COP too much. Yeah, keep informed, but don't start ranting and saying, they should be doing this, they should be doing that. Like bring our energies back to where we can actually make a difference in our own situation. And part of that is actually trusting there's lots of other good people doing great stuff out there. You may not know about it. What can we do as a, by ourselves? In terms of the strategy, strategic approaches here, we've seen so much carbon tunnel vision for so long, and we need to get away from that. And we need to 
not just looking at sort of mitigation and adaptation in terms of climate, but we need to be looking at that in all areas. So we need to be looking at how do we fix these problems, but also how do we build up our capacity to have to make the situation better, even if we don't necessarily achieve everything we want. So it's about initiatives you know, which have multiple benefits for people and for nature. The second one here is about collaboration, collaboration and cooperation. And so much of um, sort of the rhetoric around sustainability and, and, and climate change and is either about governments and big business, it's about they should do something, or it's about the individual as a consumer, possibly as a citizen, what we can do by ourselves. That collective action is complete, is generally pretty much ignored. And that's the real opportunity for so much change. And that's the real opportunity to um, unlock and really drive forward all this, the, the positive social tipping points. And that means we need to be looking in our organizations, with our colleagues, across supply chains, in our sectors for opportunities to collaborate and cooperate. And then the third one under strategy is this is a I just realized it could also be under attitude as well. Um, but it's looking at it, recognizing that people do care about what's going on in the world. And they do have they do have a capacity and ability to make a difference. Um, so right, so we we've come in you know, conventional sustainability leadership focuses a huge amount on carrots and sticks. I think we can start thinking instead about people care, people want to make a difference. How do we unleash that, that potential? How do we work with what people want to do rather than thinking they will only do something if we try and persuade them to do something? And then in terms of practice, what, you know, how can we actually develop our capacity as, as sustainability leaders for all of this? And the first one I think is about building support. This is challenging work. We all know it's challenging work if we've been doing this for any, any length of time. So it's about building your own personal trusted support networks, people who you can go for a drink with, go for a walk with, who you can sit down with over a coffee or whatever and say, I'm really struggling with this. Or you know, whether that's on a practical basis with you know trying to get someone, you know, get senior manager on board with something or about just emotional level Am I really making a difference in the world? People who you can trust to sit down and have those conversations with, or indeed go for a walk with and have those conversations. And then um, the second one is the, re you know, the is strengthening our own sense of connection with nature, and that's a huge topic in itself. But very, very simply, you know, the more we feel part of nature, the more we feel connected to nature, that stronger sense of purpose and meaning and our our capacity to, to act effectively and to look after and care for others is actually strengthened. And there's a huge amount of research on that. And I think you know, that's something we really need to build in you know, to develop our own, our own strength and our own capacity. And then on that line of building our own skills and capacity, I think you know, the, the inner development goals, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with, you know, they provide a really good framework for looking at, well, what are the skills and capacities that we need at this time, uh, which are generally not covered in any depth in most uh, sustainability leadership training programs, um, or you know, in not generally recognised as being important in most organisations. So we need to break away from that a bit and say, well, okay, how do we develop our capacity to um, our inner capacity to work on the sustainable development goals? So that's a quick recap. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Back to Morag. So thank you, Osbert, for the quick recap. 
Osbert will hit the magic button in just a moment and yeah. you'll all pop into groups and it's just your opportunity to discuss what you've heard and what you think about it. So welcome back everyone. What we were going to do now is we're going to go around each of the, the rooms and, and ask you to, to give a little feedback. Um, and from everything that you were talking about, just share one thing from the discussion. So would someone from room number one like to share? I think um, what I wrote here at the end is the art of listening, <laughs> that for all of this to work, we were discussing how important it is to to meet the other in the middle, to to really be open, vulnerable, humble, to listen what we need. Um, I was sharing my experience. I work a lot with indigenous peoples here in my country. I'm from Peru. In, there's so many NGOs, so many universities, so many companies that come here with this big sustainability project, um, climate change mitigation projects, adaptation, and 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 sometimes um, it's hard to listen, to ask people, what do you want? And truly listen <laughs> and talk and have a conversation. Interesting insight. Thank you. How about room two? So... Uh, we got into a really interesting conversation just towards the end about the idea of development and development, which is kind of like a core thing for both the SDGs, but also for the uh, inner development goal framework that Osbert, you've drawn on for the manifesto. And whether the idea of development has got a little bit of baggage, colonial baggage and so on, and a particular kind of mindset that sees everything as linear. We were just getting onto a really interesting point that Natalia was going to raise around the idea of involvement, but we didn't quite it got cut off at that point when we came back to the room. Um, I'd love to hear what you were going to say, Natalia, about involvement, because I thought I was just about getting into it. It's because in Portuguese, I'm from Brazil, in Portuguese, the word development is like, it's like it's no involvement. It's like if you separate the words, it's like no involvement. <laughs> so I was saying that... Um, for years and years and years, we were like being developed, but at the same time, we lost so many knowledge, so many wisdom, so many, the, this relationship that's inherent to us, to humans. So we need a new kind of involvement with nature as nature. So I was saying that, um, yeah, it's not something that we do, it's something that we become as like regeneration it's not something okay we will now we will reach regeneration i think it's something that we need to feel to be to to embody thank you thank you very much room three i work with a lot of corporates and on the positive side of that it's the first time in my experience of sustainability that ceos or directors of large companies have got something at a strategic level to think about an action so I, I see that as a good thing because suddenly it's they've thought of this in a much bigger sense than when Anna and I have worked. You know, it's been very, you know, tweaking at the bottom at different parts of the organization. However, the responsibility, I think, of the sustainability community or, or leaders in a broad sense is to make sure that we don't, as, as advisors in, in my capacity, take them down that funnel vision. So we bring back to the UN SDGs. We look beyond fine. We need to look beyond the financial metrics, which really get governed when you sort of in, you know we've got a, we had a bit of a blether about the net uh, biodiversity gain kind of concept, and that really upset us a bit. Um, 
and I think the segue went from there into actually it's building a culture of sustainable leadership across the organization. So it's not with a few leaders, but everyone has the opportunity to lead. So it's building a culture of sustainable leadership um, and that involves diversity and inclusion. Uh, Anna, I don't know if I've just got that fairly nutshell. You want to add anything in there as well? Yeah, I think it's just about finding something back to the point about people caring. So how do we embed caring into this agenda? Because actually, we talk a lot about sustainability. Actually, that word annoys me quite a lot because it's a catch-all for so much. This is actually about survival and business resilience. And I come from, I speak from a business perspective. But a lot of this is about resilience. It's about the ability of our planet to be planet. It's for us to all actually still have a planet to live on and for businesses to still operate. So from a sustainable leadership perspective, sometimes it's thinking about the language that we need to speak to people in to help them understand what that means from a business perspective. So that's I'm, I'm coming perhaps from that angle, but I think we get so caught up in acronyms that actually the common language and how we approach the topic, sometimes we just need to think about it differently, I think. Um, and it's something that, again, Paul and I probably, we go back probably 20 years. 20 years ago, people were talking about carbon footprinting Net zero is just a, a, re, a reinvention of that term. So we're still having those conversations, but they're not meaningful because they're not translating into action. And I think that's what we really need to think about is what is that language that we need to tailor to different audiences to as leaders to help people find find their comfort, find their space where they think they can make a difference. Thank you, Anna. That's a, a useful insight to share. And room four. We started by my saying Einstein's quote, we cannot solve our problems using the same thinking we used that created them. And really briefly, I think there are three key things. One, we need to unlearn a lot of the lessons that constrain our thinking. P&L, growth is good, scale, all of that stuff and there's a lot of them how do we unlearn and let go of those stories and behaviors we need far more courage Anna as you're saying you know we question mark is it too late but we need much more courage I think as sustainability sustainability leaders and inspire others to be far more courageous and last but not least just leaning into other comments We've got to make people feel what this means. You know, I'm very proud to have made a number of very financially successful business leaders cry when I talk about my fear for my grandson's future. And it's very genuine. And that leads to just encouraging some action that, that they can take much more courageously and stop being constrained by an ESG report or TFMD or whatever acronym is driving the C-suite. We need to go beyond that much faster. Okay. Sasha, sorry. I was with Libby. Libby's not that long out of school, about seven years or six years. And I was a teacher and we were just comparing notes that 
that when I was in education, I was interested in the environment. So I was made the eco group. I made myself the eco group coordinator. But as soon as I left the school, no one is doing it. So that, that's how much importance is educational establishments are giving to something really important, like educating the next generation about all these problems and trying to interest them in them. And um, Libby said um, that it, the same, she went back to her school and the head of geography just didn't have a clue. So that was one of the things that came out of our chat. And then I'll let um, Libby talk about her social housing side, which was very interesting as well. Thank you, Sasha. Yeah, that's one of the things that we touched on. And for me, I think, I don't know if you all agree as well, when you're working in this space day in, day out, sometimes you do get that a bit of a reality check when you go into a different sector and speak to different people and you're like okay wow you know some work still does need to happen here but one thing that we didn't get to touch on which is on a slightly more positive angle and I think leans into I think it's point six in the manifesto and it's realizing that you know people actually do care and do want to do something so as a social housing provider we have a very large supply chain and we've recently started announcing big projects and allowing our supply chain to feed into it and kind of get their appetite for it and every single time there is always so many businesses so many people we work with whether that's the council local charities and um, the providers that put kitchens in our houses everyone's got always got such an appetite to feed into what we're doing and help and learn from us and do things together to actually make a difference so I think in certain areas like we kind of got onto with Sasha with the schools it can be a bit kind of depressing but then with others you know everyone's so willing to do something and people do actually care I think it's just a matter of holding the hand and helping them take that first step. Thank you Libby nice optimistic note um, from the feedback there to finish on. Osbert you've been taking some notes on that thinking about the, the manifesto yeah, so I was taking so that's been really, really interesting hearing all of that. I don't think there's anything in all of that that I would I would disagree with. I'd like to take a moment just now to let you know about our next event. If you've been listening for a while, you'll know that most people are concerned about climate change and would like to make more sustainable choices in their lives. Despite this open door, most business sustainability initiatives fail to engage staff, and as a result, they miss their targets. The reason is that most initiatives don't pay enough attention to what genuinely motivates colleagues, nor do they recognise the barriers that hold back even the most highly motivated employees from taking action. On Wednesday the 22nd of May, join me and Jamie, the creator of the Most Sustainable Workplace Index, and learn how the index can help you tap into and unlock most employees' latent motivation to do the right thing for people and planet. You'll discover how the index can help you to gather hard evidence of what's working and what needs attention across locations and divisions and seniority levels. You'll identify the focus areas where the sustainability team, L&D, HR and so on, should allocate time and resources to make the most progress. And you'll discover how you can demonstrate year-on-year -year progress with consistent and comparable data on sustainability culture. And you can use that for action planning, reporting, benchmarking and accreditation. Do join us on Wednesday the 22nd of May. You'll find the link in the show notes. So sort of to pick up a couple of things there, I think to reflect back a bit, I think you know, what a sort of this thing about caring and about helping people, about having that courage 
the courage and people, you know, Libby was talking about that, sorry, Sasha, I think, was sense of, you know, stepping forward to be the eco schools coordinator, driving that for, that stuff forward. So but I think was Donna was saying about courage as well. That came through a lot, like just stepping up and and taking action because there are spaces to be filled. And that and that can that can then bring other people, other people with us. The yeah, listening, I think, you know, this idea of you know, really just listening to people and sort of understanding listening deeper as well, not just what they say they want, but I think as Malcolm says in the, in the comments, like, well, what do people actually need? And they don't always know that. You know, there's a lot of work really to help people get to what they actually need. And then we can, how might we help them get what they need? Um, I think this thing about language is really interesting. That came up around um, the word development and the mindset, which goes with that, which is, has, is, is and the colonial aspects of that, which are hugely problematic in many ways. I guess there are sort of two thoughts around that for me. One is, well, sometimes when you actually unpick those words, I'm, pre I'm pretty certain that like, like development, the root of that is actually more around unfolding. So this idea of unfolding, sort of becoming. So you can, you can sometimes you can remind people of where the word really comes from and get into it like that and to get a different perspective. But also I think there's this a challenge we all face in this in this world. To some extent, we're stuck with words like development, with sustainability, and in order to have the conversations with people who aren't at this meeting, at this at this round table, sometimes you're like, well, we just have to work with the words that the company means something to them, which is why I use the word sustainability a lot, because for most most people, it's the most useful word to define this sort of area that we that we're working in. I don't mean some other contexts, I won't use it. So I think it's about being really sort of, yeah, being savvy about what words are appropriate in what places. Those are some of the things that you know, were coming out of this conversation for me, and I'd love to be able to continue the conversation, but we don't have time. So oh. back to you, Moreg, to, to take us towards the, the end of our time together. Yes, so we have uh, 10 minutes left. We'll do a closing round where we'll just go around you all one at a time. What aspect of the manifesto that you don't already do would you like Im to implement and what would help you? So, Donna. Uh, thank you. I think I'm doing most if not all of it I think better collaboration um, when I say better or I mean more effective collaborations thank you and then we'll come to Anna actually I think I will also focus on collaboration because it's something that um, I do so much of at work and comparatively very little in my personal life and specifically what would help me is I have a couple of friends who have gotten way more active politically in the past few years. Um, and I feel like connecting to some of those real life networks of influence on the ground would be one of the most impactful things I could do personally beyond any sort of professional activity. So it would be that. Wonderful. Thank you, Anna. And Paul, I think number four. Four develop and deliver initiatives that offer multiple benefits for people and for nature. And probably relating to just transition or ensuring that there aren't people left behind in this. It's very easy, you know, for us to be biased, unconscious bias or neglecting at all different levels, local, globally. So um, I don't quite know what the support is, but trying to build that into the work we do more. Thank you, uh, Thank you Paul. And Rishir, if you come, we come to you next. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, it will be practice number three, um, develop your skills and capacity within the development goals. Um, and I'm, I'm quite keen to see if uh, 
um, in my head just to think through what it might look like if we were to do the, the, the goals, inner development goals in reverse. Thank you. And Malcolm, you're next. And I think for me, one of the biggest things that is presenting a barrier is actually language, vocabulary. So there are things like the term just transition. Now, that arose from the trade union movement looking for justice for the people in carbon area sector as they moved away from that as to how they transitioned in their employment. Now, it has been taken and politically given new meanings in other places. So it means that as a term, it's no longer clear. And I think there are a lot of terms that are being used around this whole area on which there is a lack of clarity. Even, you know, what does net zero actually mean? Alejandra, we come to you. I highlighted from the very beginning, accepting uncertainty. <laughs> I think we can um, move forward with that and, and, and accepting that we have to just give our best, hope for the best, but we don't really know what's going to mm. happen. <laughs> Thank you very much. And Sasha, we come to you next. I think that one of the main things that I would like is to see the sustainability goals of the company be owned and pushed forward by everyone in the company. Make it into a collective thing rather than something that's run by a bunch of people who are over there in that office that, that make some decisions but often don't have the budget, don't have any control over the budget at all and therefore can't really think big at all. Thank you, Sasha. Libby, we come to you next. I think I'll focus on building my trusted network. So I've only been out of university nearly just shy of three years, but I think every time I, you know, put myself out, come to something like this, join other networks, the value you gain from speaking to other people within the sustainability space is just well, it's invaluable, to be honest. So that's what I'll be working on. Thank you very much, Libby. Sarah? So I think the avoiding carbon tunnel vision and multiple benefits piece really spoke to me. But I think maybe the bit that's missing in the manifesto is the point that Alejandra made in, in our group, which is around understanding the, the global impact of the actions that we're taking when we're trying to do good. So not just seeking to create multiple benefits, but being aware of potential multiple negative impacts that we might create when we're trying to do the right thing. So I'm going to really take that forward. And thank you to Alejandro for raising that in our group. And um, Natalia. Yeah, I think I'll continue focusing in this unlearning process and inner transformation starting, of course, not starting, but doing it with myself as well. So yeah, continue on that. Wonderful, thank you. And Anna Kreost. From my perspective, I think it's how do we in Scotland come together in a collaborative space to really drive forward positive change? And I suppose that's more of a question than, than necessarily expecting answers just now, but how do we use this manifesto effectively to move beyond the conversation to practical action and, and real change on the ground? in Scotland, but also obviously more widely then within the supply chains. Thank you very much, Anna. And Adam, we come to you. I think that echoing just on just transition, ensuring that the most vulnerable people in the supply chains, both upstream and downstream, 
are not negatively impacted by you know the sustainability measures and i'd like to just say like anna's point as well like how do we start to get heads together and really implement these things maybe at first on a local more local scale to kind of prove it out thank you adam and ellis oh sorry ellis's mic and camera to use a great scottish term are gubbed apparently so he has written in the the chat i like the point let go of saving the world instead focus on creating the future we need thank you so osbert back to you yeah so that's been really really helpful to get that sort of insight and reflection on on the manifesto i will go away and reflect further and um, pick up some of these suggestions and ideas and maybe come back to some of you individually as well just to continue this conversation a bit more depth if you're up for it thank you and there you have it i hope you enjoyed our first leadership for sustainability roundtable and that you'll join us at a future session to make sure you get notified of upcoming events like this, sign up for the Leadership for Sustainability newsletter. You'll find the link in the show notes. Bye for now. Take care, everyone. Thank Bye -bye. you.